0: Today we uh, take a two-week break from the series we've been in that we've called "Win," Going Through the Beatitudes. i take a two-week break to focus on uh, mission areas of our church. Some things that our mission team's doing and they're leading out in. Our missions team spent nearly a year praying, planning, strategizing, researching, Seeking God's desire for center point and saying, where should we go and what should we do and where should we be involved in? What kind of ministry should we do when it comes to the area of missions? They narrowed down from many, many ideas and many places because there's the need is great across the United States and in the foreign lands. So from many areas, they narrowed down to these five areas. One is church planning. So we want to be involved in the work of church planning, helping new churches get started. Another area was orphan care. Uh, you saw some of that in our church over the last year. Is, like last year, we, we raised money at kids' camp for beds in Uganda. And as we did things like Orphan Sunday, and we'll continue to grow the orphan care strategy. Anti-slavery is another area. Again, some of that's just education, but part of that you saw that with fair trade chocolate being part of our trunk treat, trunk, trunk or treat this last year. Uh, there's been some movie showings, just introducing us little by little. What's this anti-slavery thing that's going on? Unreached people groups and urban poor are two more areas that we're that we want to get involved in. We're praying about and saying, God, lead us, show us, direct us. What do you have next today and next week? Though, we want to focus in on this area of church planning. What is this about? The church is God's means of shining the light of truth in this dark and dying world. God's the one that established the church. It's his system. He's the one that set it up. He's the one that put it together. He's the one that says, this is the way that my body of believers are to function. It is his means of proclaiming the message of reconciliation. Center point was a church plant. Matter of fact, all churches at some point or time are a church plant. Someone has to get them started and get them up off the ground. But Center Point was a church plant by the Bluegrass Christian Men's Fellowship. This organization that is supported by churches here in central Kentucky, by the Christian churches, back in uh, around 2000, said, hey, it's time time to start focusing on the northwest side of Lexington. And so they bought the acreage that we sit on today. At that time, there was 18 acres. We sold a little bit off and now sit on six, 16 acres. I was hired and began working toward planting a church in January of 2004. Spent that year, most of that year, gathering, and, and people started gathering with us during the summertime. We started meeting in a garage, and some of you have heard the stories where it was a stinky, oily garage, and we had light candles and incense trying to get the smells out before we had our meetings. But little by little, we started gathering people and saying, hey, we want to get this church off the ground. And so people started jumping in and, and saying, I want to help. I want to be involved. And November 7, 2004, Center point was birthed at Meadowthorpe Elementary School. How many people here have kids that go to Meadowthorpe Elementary School? Nobody in this room right now, just, there's one. We got one, there used to, be, um, used to be some more, but Meadowthorpe Elementary School, we used their gymnasium, we used their cafeteria, and that's where we had church for six years. And that's where the church gathered until we moved into this facility in the fall of 2010, October of 2010, and been here ever since. But it was about 10 plus years ago, we are planted. We were church plant. We've been part of planting churches in our existence. Some were more involved with, and some not so involved. We supported Eric and Kate Ferguson, who were part of a church plant in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a very uh, unchurched area, mostly just um, just just very few amount of churches, and they went up there and helped get that church going. We we loaned out our trailer. And our portable, portable equipment that we use, we, we would load and unload uh, every week all of our equipment and all of our stuff. And we've loaned that out uh, to Momentum Christian Church here in Lexington, another BCMF church plant. And said, hey, instead of you going to rebuy this stuff, you use it so now you can do the loading and the unloading of, of stuff. We've given away some of the stuff. Some of the big black boxes that we have, we've given away over half of them to a church plant in Ohio. Trying to get off the ground, we said, come, get these boxes, you can use them, and use them now in your ministry. Church planning has been part of us and it needs to be even more. And We want to be in the body of center point. I believe, I believe this world needs more churches. I I I believe this world is a desperate need of more churches. Now you may think or wonder, now hold on a minute preacher, Are are there commands in scriptures to plant churches? And you may say, I'm not sure it does, because I don't know of a scripture that says, go and plant churches. And quite honestly, I've kind of searched the scriptures, and I can't find one that tells me, it says, go and start churches. The Great Commission, though, says, go and make disciples. It tells us go make, And it doesn't say, go plant churches. Matthew 28, 19, 20 doesn't simply end with, though, make disciples. It commands us to baptize and to teach them. And in the New Testament, baptism was a clear declaration of identification with a worshiping community. And we see in the book of Acts, when 3,000 people came to the Lord, what they started doing in Acts 2.42, it says those who accepted His message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What were these believing and baptized people added to? What were they added to? They were added to the church. They were added to the church. Not to a building... Not to a specific location, but added to the church, which is a body of believers in Jesus Christ. These conversions didn't result in individual believers floating through life on their own. It wasn't like, oh, now I believe in Jesus Christ, and now I'm going to just float and go do that all by myself. Because Acts 2.42 also says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. That's the church. Come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior mastered her life. Come, moved our life of, of darkness into a life of light. And what did they do? They got together and they heard more of the teaching. They got together and they fellowshiped in Jesus' name. They broke bread together, which remembered Jesus and his death, his burial and resurrection. And they stayed committed to prayer. The fulfillment of the Great Commission is tied directly to the formation of new churches. And we must be focused and be involved in it as a church. Wherever the gospel is spread, the natural result then should be the assembly of believers into new congregations. Now, in America, we're used to the new congregations mostly meeting in buildings. Or meeting in a school, maybe. Or maybe some are meeting in a movie theater. Or maybe a rented facility. But in some foreign lands, like in India... They get together new Christians and say, hey, there's a shade tree. Let's meet underneath that. We'll meet there every single week, and they have a church underneath the tree. Or they say, hey, let's just meet over here this little bit of a a lean-to where there's some shade, and we'll get out of there. And that now becomes where our church will gather. This principle of church planting is illustrated in the storyline of the book of Acts. If you read through the book of Acts, you see church planting. Jesus authorizes his apostles to plant the first church in Jerusalem to be a base of global missions after they filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And then in Acts 8, Philip preaches the gospel effectively during the persecution and scattered Jerusalem church in Samaria. And Philip had been previously affirmed by both the church as a, as a whole and as its senior leaders. And you move on to Acts 9, Saul, who then becomes Paul, the greatest missionary the world has ever known, is converted from someone who persecuted the church to someone who has now planted many churches as he's called to establish the church across the region. In Acts 11, the church at Antioch takes shape, born out of the Jerusalem persecution. A man named Barnabas was sent to Jerusalem church to authenticate and lead this new church. He brought Paul and together they formed a dynamic duo that planted churches all over the place. And the gospel spread as you read through the book of Acts and you read about the three very distinct missionary journeys that Paul went on and Barnabas was part of, most of those journeys, as they went along, they went and they would establish a church, they would get a congregation going, they would establish elders, local leadership, and they'd move on and get another church started and then periodically go back and visit those churches for encouragement and guidance and, and keep them moving along in the right direction. Churches are the organic product of the gospel at work. And that is not by happenstance. It's all part of God's grand design. It's how God set it up. The church is God's plan to extend the gospel to grace to the world. It's his plan A, and there is no plan B. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not destroy it or stop it. And that's the work that God is doing, and I want to be part of what God is doing. Do you not want to do the same? I want to be where He's going. I want to be what He's telling us to be part of. Nothing else. Not crusades, not radio broadcasts, not campus ministries, not mercy endeavors, not educational institutions or cultural renewal programs will have the consistent, redemptive impact of the church. And so I believe that we need churches and must continually plant more churches. Let's take a little history walk. Why new churches? In 1820, there was one church for every 875 Americans in 1820. In the eyes of many Protestants, this was not nearly sufficient. So from 1860 to 1900, church planning boomed. They looked at it and said, hold on a minute. One church for every 875 people? That's not enough churches. And so the leaders and the Christians at that time, 1860, said, let's get this going more, and let's get more churches planted. And so the population continued to grow, obviously. But by the turn of the century, there was one church for every 430 Americans. For every 430 Americans. At that time, nearly one-third of all congregations in the U.S. were less than 25 years old. So there's a whole bunch of young churches... But there was one for every 430. These young churches reached in people's lives and affected a shift in the religious landscape. Now, the percentage of the country's population involved in the life of the church and identifying themselves as religious adherents rose steadily from a 17% involvement in 1776 all the way to 53% involvement in 1916. Can you imagine that? In 1916, over half of the American population were actually involved in a church. Let that sink in for a moment. Over half. More than half of the Americans on Sundays said, we're getting up. Now, farming industry, so many got up very early, did their farming chores and did their farming work, and then they went off and said, now we'll go gather together for church. What has happened over the last 100 years, though? How did we go from 53% of Americans being churchgoers to the disgrace that we face today. I mean, now less than 18% of Americans go to church on any given weekend. We've gone back to 1776. We've gone. In a hundred year span, we've gone from half the country being involved in a Bible-believing, faith-based church, Christ-centered church, to now less than 18%. Could it be that our churches become old and stale? Could it be our churches lost zeal and vision and creation of new healthy, healthy churches? I'm not sure of all the reasons. Culture war, sin, obviously. Church historians have noted that after World War I, church planting in the U.S. plummeted. Towns across the country had their church and felt no need for additional ones. Turf wars began. There was resistance from older congregations sending new churches beginning in quote-unquote Their neighborhood. And said, how can a church start across the street? How can they start in my neighborhood? How could that possibly happen? Unfortunately, a vast number of congregations peaked in size in the first 25 years. They either remained that size or slowly began to shrink. So as time passed, the American population could continue to grow while church planting came to a stall. What should be our attitude, church, if there's a new Christ-believing Bible-centered church that comes and said, we're going to plant it right across the street from Center Point? Our attitude should be praise God. Our attitude should be welcome. Let's be neighbors and figure out how to do this thing together. That's why you can drive up and down Tatech Creek Road and there's about four or five really big churches within like a short little distance. Because there's enough people in our community to reach. And there's enough people in communities across this world to reach. What needs to happen now? New churches need to be planted across the U.S., And there is now a move of God where churches are getting planted. Timothy Keller put it succinctly, the vigorous continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for the numerical growth of the body of Christ and the continual corporate renewal and revival of existing churches. It makes sense when you think about it. I mean, new churches best reach new generations and new residents and new peoples. McGarvin and Hunter have demonstrated through dozens of studies that the average new church gains 60 to 80% of its new members from people who are not attending any church prior, whereas churches over 10 to 15 years of age gain uh, only about 10 to 15%. So as a church gets older, its tendency is to not reach as many people. Typically. Not always true, but typically. Research has shown that churches that are fewer than 100 people in size grow twice as fast proportion than churches with 100 to 200 people. And that would suggest that our country could be reached better if our strategy was planting a lot, a lot of smaller churches than having fewer largest churches. There are some churches that have mindsets that says, when our church reaches 500, we send out 200. Or when our church reaches 1,000, we send out 250. We send people out to keep planting churches. It's time. And it has been time for a resurgence of church planting in the U.S. Some may say, well, we're not ready, or we're not organized enough, or it won't work. There is such a thing as an ill-conceived or a poorly planned church plant that is damaging its effects. It needs to be planned well. But there's also such a thing as a stagnant Christianity that isn't prepared to risk its comfort for the sake of growing the kingdom of God, and that's damaging to the kingdom as well. It's time to step out in faith. It's time to spend and be spent for a cause that is greater than ourselves. It's His church. So why plant churches? It is the only wide-scale means of bringing lots of new Christians to know Jesus Christ. People have never walked with Jesus. Why new healthy churches? Church planting can be about great many things Today, day. Sometimes about trendy congregation. Some church plants think, oh, let's just get the right venue with the right pastor, looking into the right way, and, and, and let's pump in some loud music, and let's be real trendy, and we'll bring people in. Some churches think, oh, let's hold on to tradition, we'll keep the piano, we'll keep the organ, we'll hold on, on, on to that, and, and let's stick with that avenue. Let me ask you something. Should church planting be about, about trending, or should it be about traditional? Absolutely not. It needs to be about Jesus Christ. The church is supposed to be about Jesus Christ, not about marketing. The big picture is all about Jesus. I would suggest that church planning shouldn't be about anything about Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. And we, Centerpoint Christian Church, need to be involved in it. We need to be involved in it more than we have in our previous 10 years. Healthy churches will seek to exalt God above anything else. And I want to be part of that. Healthy churches will strive to submit to the controlling influences of the Holy Spirit. Healthy churches will have a mindset that says, where is God moving? Where are other people moving? We want to come alongside and partner together. They'll demonstrate a prayerful dependence in decision-making, spiritual leadership, communication, service. Healthy churches will intentionally try to be saturated with Scripture. And we want to come alongside others who want to do that kind of church planning. Happens in a team... Happens together. A healthy church is not simply a church. It's a church planting church. We've tried to stay committed to Scripture and point. We've tried to stay committed to being a church of prayer. We've been committed to being a church of the Word. I want us to raise up our commitment level of being committed to a church that helps other churches get off the ground. We need to focus, I think, new churches in metropolitan areas. The stats are staggering. The greatest missionary in history was the Apostle Paul. As you read through Acts and notice strategy, it was pretty simple. He went to the largest cities of the region, and he planted churches in that city. And then he would go on to another large city and plant churches. And following that example, cities are not the only places where church needed, but they perhaps are the most strategic places because that's where most of the population of the world gathers. If you want permanently influence our country, it must be through a chief city. Who influences our, cult- our culture? New York. Cities on the East Coast and West Coast usually influence what then happens in, in the mid middle regions. The most recent census data indicates that most more than four-fifths, 83% of the U.S. population in 2010 lived in the nation's metro areas, in the cities. And so we need to go to the cities. And we need to go to the large cities, cities where people are and will increasingly be. Cities are centers of influence culturally and spiritually and in nearly every other way. Cities are the gateway to the suburbs and the rural areas. And in spite of the Pauline model and practical rationale, cities have largely been neglected by church planners for a long time. It's been that way for a long time. Baptist pastor and president of Brown University, Francis Wayland, wrote more than 150 year ago, 50 years ago, I come now to the case of churches in cities. They are, in comparison with the churches in the country, fewer in number, and they contain but a small portion of entire membership. Now, over about the last 10 years, there's been a move among church planning to go to the cities. And let's go to the big cities where there's a mass of people. His voice from long ago resonates with current need for churches, though, to be planted in the cities. And hence... We started looking at the city of Las Vegas. Started looking at the city of Las Vegas because we were approached by a young man at Kentucky Christian University and said, I'm going out to Vegas to help be part of a church plant. Would another church in Kentucky come along inside and help us out? And so, in that prayer time and research time, we had Spencer Walters come and meet with our mission team and shared with our mission team. And one of the commitments of our mission team then is if we have some interest and feel like God is saying, Hey, You need to go and do this. And we feel like we need to go visit if at all possible. So a few of us went. Myself, Jerry Skidmore, one of our elders, and Ginger Curtis, she went with us. And we went and visited Las Vegas and visited Walk Church, the video that you saw this morning. They're trying to get themselves organized and gathered and gathering people. We spent times with their charge groups, which is their small groups. We spent time with some of their leadership people. We spent some time with one of their church planning uh, organizations. You saw them kind of gathering at a church. That's where they were just getting some people together, where they're doing some of those baptisms. We came away from there saying, we've got to partner with this church. Las Vegas is not that long of a, a plane ride. It's not that far. It's possible for us to send people there. It's possible for us to send dollars there. And so we've decided to partner with Walk Church. We've made an agreement to support them at $300 a month. That's a significant amount of income, but that happens because of your giving and your, your offerings. But we also said, we don't want to just send dollars. We want to send people. It's known as the city of sin. And you saw in the video, he says, we don't want to be known as the city of sin. We want it to be known as the city of Him. Hyden Ratner who's the lead planter. Las Vegas has over 2 million people. Now most of the time you think of Las Vegas what do you think of? Think of the strip, right? You think of the lights. That's like one street, maybe two of that whole city. City is huge. Of 2 million people, 92% have no affiliation with a church at all 92 percent that's over 1.8 million people who do not know jesus christ as a lord and savior there's a big move of mormonism there you drive around you see steeples you think oh there's a church it's actually a latter-day saints church but churches that believe in Jesus Christ. We asked the question, so how many churches are actually in this city that are Bible-believing churches? They said, well, that's a little bit of a hard number to figure out because when you look at the registry of churches, if you're going to do weddings, you have to register as a church, and so you may do maybe register your home address as a church. And so they said, you know, you look at the registry, there's about 400 churches listed. That's because it's an income. When I retire, I'm going there, going to make some money. People, they said they make $100,000 a year just performing weddings. They said, actually, though, Bible-believing churches, Christ-centered churches, Jesus-focused churches, they said there's about 100. 100 Bible-believing churches for 2 million people. I would say that the need is Great. I think we as a church have an opportunity, to impact. to see. I think we could partner with Walk Church, and Lord willing, God bless them, as they say, we want to do more, we could say, hey, let us help you do more. And we can kind of almost adopt a city away from home that's very attainable for us to get there and go and minister, and so we're praying for God's direction. Let, let, let me close with this thought. Here's, here's what we're going to do. Next week, I encourage you not to miss. Next week, the Walk Church team is going to be with us. Their lead minister and their associate minister, both their wives, and Hyden and Nina Ratner, who you saw in the video, have a newborn baby that's not even two months old. And they said, we're bringing him with us. And so their families are going to be here. And in the bulletin, you'll see there's some opportunity for some dessert nights on Sunday night and Tuesday night. I want to encourage you to come. You'll see some emails coming out. Come, bring your family, and just get a chance to meet them, interact with them, hang out with them. They'll be with us Sunday morning. Hyden's going to preach next week and share with you a little bit more in detail about why, why would a church in Kentucky want to help a church get off the ground in Vegas? And so there going be some opportunities. Just follow your email. You'll see some of that get involved. But let me close with this thought. The Apostle Paul's drive, which I believe should be our drive as individuals and as the church. Why would we be concerned about planting churches? Why be concerned about doing that? Why be concerned about people who are without Jesus? Here's what Paul wrote. He said, he is the one we proclaim in the book of Colossians, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul said, my goal is to present people perfect, mature in Christ. That should be all of our goals. Our goals should be that I want to present my neighbor perfect in Christ. I want to present my, present my kids mature in Christ. I want to make sure my wife grows mature in Christ. I want to make sure my husband grows mature in Christ. I want to make sure that the people I work with grow mature in Christ. I want to make sure that people who I don't even know who I may never meet would meet Jesus Christ so that one day they'll be presented mature and perfect in Christ. Why? Because they met Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we just, uh, we pause and ask for your help. Thinking about the world of, of, of planting churches, looking at the Apostle Paul and seeing what he did, Lord, and the number of churches that he helped get off the ground and get them started so that the gospel message would spread. Lord, help us to have that kind of passion and desire. Lord, I want to pray very specifically for what's happening in Las Vegas with Walk Church and a few other churches in the area that have been planted here recently. God, there's a move of your Spirit coming over that city. And Lord, we want to be part of that. Lord, we see your hand moving there. We see your Holy Spirit moving there, Lord. And we want to come alongside what you're already doing, Father. And we want to to be part of that and help your gospel message, help the the kingdom on earth come to the city of Vegas. So God, would you guide us and direct and, and help? Give us ears to listen. Give us eyes to see your leading and give us obedient spirits. Lord, I pray for our time with the Walk Church leadership team as they come next week. Lord, we pray it's a time that honors you and we pray, Lord, for a great partnership as we work together. We work together to bring the name of Jesus to the city of Vegas. Lord, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.